Luke 6, verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Good morning, everyone. Nice to, uh, nice to see you and to be together. It seems that nowadays adverts are absolutely everywhere. It used to be that, um, you know, it was just kind of in a, a, I don't know, a break in your favorite TV show. You could avoid the adverts if you wanted to. Uh, kind of go and make a cup of tea or something and get out of the way of them. But um, apparently, I read that, that nowadays we, we see up to 10,000 adverts per day. 10,000 per day. And, and it's from the brand marks on one another's clothing to the billboards, to the shops, the business signs, web pages, absolutely uh, plastered in them. We see them all over the place, and it's so subtle, we don't even realize we're, we're seeing it. And, and, you know, if you're not paying access to something online then it means that someone else is paying uh, for you, paying, uh, paying for you to access that. And, and it's not them being nice, it's advertisers who are paying to get access to you, to try and influence you to, um, to uh, the choices you make towards their products, but also they're paying for access to, to your data and your information so that their psychologists and their brain scientists can go to work with that and work out how they can manipulate you better to, to buy their stuff and sell you more stuff. There's this whole industry that's developed in, in, in our day and in our age uh, around this to sell products to us, but more than that, to try and create longings within us for the life that, we, uh, that, that they want us to want, the life that they claim they can sell us. And if they can create those longings in us, then we'll go and buy their products when we haven't got the money for them. And then these products are never to be, never scratch the itch of the longings they promise, and so we buy more and... Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. The, the adverts and the advertisements of our time and day show us what we believe is a truly blessed life. They show us where we deep down believe and where we hope life to the full is found, where we think we can buy it. And, and in this crowded marketplace of so many voices uh, and so many offers from people out there and so many visions of what a truly blessed life is, Jesus raises his voice to speak about where the blessed life can be found. And Jesus makes his offer in that 
marketplace. And he does it at the start of this epic sermon, which, which we just started reading uh, today. Johnny read to us. We're going to be exploring this, this sermon today and for the next few weeks, actually, because it's, it's quite a long one. And Jesus opens up this sermon with uh, what you could say is his kingdom manifesto. It's his vision of what life with him and under him will look like. Like a politician puts out the manifesto. This is what it's going to look like with me around. This is Jesus' manifesto. And it's something he invites us into and something he invites us to buy into. And really, it's picking up this ongoing theme that we've seen in Luke in recent weeks, that Jesus is offering a new thing, an upgrade on the tired old ways that people are used to. And when Jesus gives this kingdom manifesto, what he claims is a truly blessed life in his kingdom. Well, actually, as Johnny said already, it turns our world, it turns our whole approach to life upside down. The way that Jesus sees that the true reality of life is not always what it looks like and what it feels like on the surface. So if we want to live with healthy and happy souls, then we need to come to a different way of seeing the world and a different way of living in it, according to Jesus. Now, now his, te- his teaching here is going to do two things for us today, I think. I think it's going to comfort us. It's going to comfort us where, where life is harder for us in some ways because we're following Jesus. Well, these are words of comfort. But it's also going to provoke us. It's also going to stir us up in, in places in our lives where we're too satisfied with things of earth that will not stand the test of time. So we're going to be comforted and we're going to be provoked. You, you today might feel totally broken by life. You might feel like, actually, life's going pretty well for me right now. Thank you. Well, whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, Jesus has something to say to you this morning. And and start by saying that he gives us an offer in the real world. You see, so often we hear a snippet of Jesus' teachings or his sayings, and we think they sound so cute and they sound so quaint, but a bit old-fashioned and a little bit out of touch with real life, aren't they, Jesus? Not much to say to my life today. You know, the time and the place where someone says something is really significant, isn't it? And often that's as significant as what they say. So when we hear some double-barreled upper-class politician in a nice suit sat outside his family mansion talking to us about a cost-of-living crisis, it doesn't quite connect, does it? Because you kind of think, you don't really know what it's going to be like to have a a remortgage coming up or struggle with your energy bills. On the other hand, you think of um, President Zelensky of the Ukraine and, and how... He has communicated more than words can say by his addresses to his country and to the people from a military bunker in Kiev. And he's often wearing kind of khaki t-shirts and military outfit, isn't he? And he's showing and demonstrating that he's with the people in what they're facing, and he's amongst them. And that says all you really need to know about what kind of leader he is, I think. And so we picture the scene of Jesus saying these sayings, and you hear, you know, blessed are the poor and blessed are those who weep. And we think in our mind's eye, we think this kind of this pleasant, this peaceful scene far removed from the reality and the pressure of our everyday lives, we've kind of got you know, the hippie Jesus, the guru guy on the hillside in the afternoon sun with his friends in the Middle East, the gentle breeze flowing through his hair, and he's just throwing out these pithy one-liners, not a care in the world. And you think, Jesus, sounds nice, but that's very far from a cost-of-living crisis. That's very far from, from struggling to make ends meet. That's so far from feeling broken by the pressures of caring for and raising kids. You just realize you can't do it. That's so far from waking each day in the dark valley of depression. Jesus, that's nice, but it's so far from worrying about the remortgage that's coming up. It's so far from the concerns I have for for the mental health of my friends and my family. It's so far from the pressure that I feel in my work life at the moment and the expectations that I just can't meet. And it's so far from the complexity of relationships with family. 
And it's so far from the grief of a loved one that's passed. And so we think, Jesus, you probably haven't got much to say to me. It kind of feels nice but dim, Jesus. It won't cut it in the real world with my real life problems. But listen, I want, I want us to pay attention to this. Verse 17 to 19. See the time and the place that Jesus said this stuff. It's much closer to real life than we first realize. It's not peaceful and quiet. It's bustling and it's charged. There's needs all over the place. We read that there's this large crowd of followers of Jesus, of disciples, that gather on this level place on this mountainside. But along with them comes this great number of people from all over the place. They come from Judea and Jerusalem in the south, about 100 miles away, and and Tyre and Sidon on the coast to the north, about 50 miles away. And all of these people trekking from all over the place to this mountainside, desperate to hear Jesus teach, desperate to be healed of their diseases, desperate to be cured of the troubles that they carry with impure spirits. Given what's going on in that place at this time, desperate. For the, for, uh, I'm sure many of them, for a revolutionary leader to free them from the oppression of the Romans and, uh, and, and, and restore their own sovereignty and the, and the good old days of their nation. These are people coming to Jesus well familiar with the hardships of life. These are people coming with their mental health struggles, with their chronic pain, with their grief, with their oppression and injustice. People who know daily the battles of poverty. This is not a peaceful, idyllic hillside. It's a desperate scene. People who are fed up feeling like life's losers, feeling like they're at the bottom and they're on the wrong end of life's deal. People wanting and hoping for a better life. And that's the scene. Those are the people crowding around Jesus. And this is where Jesus comes down from the heights of the mountain, from his, his, his mountaintop experience with God that we saw last week, from the very presence of God himself. And he comes to teach these people God's will for them, for their flourishing and their life. Those of us who know our Bibles, it's just like Moses 1,500 years before as he comes down from God to the people. And he comes here, Jesus, to give God's design, God's blueprint for life in his kingdom in the real world. Life in his kingdom in the here and now. And as we've already heard this morning, this life in the kingdom isn't an upside-down kingdom because it's not what we expect, is it? Jesus never is. And he speaks poetically, and Jesus got these four pairs of sayings. He says, blessed are the poor, but woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, but woe to the well-fed. Blessed are those who weep, but woe to those who laugh. Blessed are the people that others hate, but woe to those who everyone speaks well of. You think, what's going on here? Is Jesus some kind of revolutionary leader leading an uprising of the poor and the outcasts? Well, no, he's not. It's, it's not that Jesus likes the poor and hates rich people. It's not some kind of reverse prejudice or something going on here. He's not saying that the experience of living in poverty is in and of itself blessed. Or he's condemning you if you're successful or you enjoy a good laugh or, or you're a person that others tend to speak well of. No, Jesus is describing two types of people. Two types of people characterized by two approaches to life. And he's speaking into the reason that these people are poor that he speaks about and the reason these people are rich. And it's a case of what and who they're living for. You see, the poor here, they're having a harder time in life because they are Jesus' disciples. They're following him. And they've made certain life decisions around following him that have taken away some of the comfort of life and and, and made life less easy in in certain ways. They're not in it for an easy life. 
And he says, if that's you, you're truly blessed. It might not feel it, it might not look like it, but you're truly blessed. And then on the other hand, he talks about the rich who are having a good time of life because they're living for all they can get in the moment. They're making most of a life in the here and now. They have no care or interest in God or in the kingdom of God. They might have a bit of religion around them, but it doesn't go deep enough to affect what they really value, what they really live for, what's really at the heart of life. And Jesus says, well, that way of life, that looks good, doesn't it? But in the end, that's a way of life that's actually losing out. It's a way of woe. You see, it's helpful for us to hear this because we've got to be honest, it seems and it feels the opposite to us, doesn't it? It looks like to us, and so often to me, those who don't love God, who don't live for him, who've got no space for him in their life, they get ahead. They get a life that is a good life and full of blessings and flourishing. While those who try to honour God, so often in so many ways get left behind, get left out. It's a common experience for the people of God. We read about it a lot in the the Bible. But look look who Jesus is addressing here. Verse 20, he's addressing his disciples, the the 12 and these others who are following him in life. uh, And it's like he's speaking to to his disciples and his followers, say they're sat over here, uh, and the rest of the crowd are listening in and kind of hearing what's going on. I'm not saying anything about this side of the room and this side of the room, but, um, you know, the the others who aren't yet following him are listening in to what he's saying to his disciples. These are those who have started to count the cost of following Jesus, who are feeling the pinch of what it means to follow him. In fact, we've read twice in in chapter 5 that there are people who have left everything behind to follow Jesus. We read about the four fishermen in, in 5 verse 11 and, and Levi, the tax collector, in 5 verse 28. So, so these are people who have, have given up a fair bit on a punt on Jesus. Some of us have made some life decisions on a punt about following Jesus. And, and the question is, is that crazy? You know, so far there's been some healings, there's been some feasts, and it might feel like that's a good decision at the moment for these guys. But Jesus knows that life in his kingdom in the here and now will not always be like that. It's not all health and wealth and prosperity and, uh, and the good life. Sooner or later, this disciples will ask the question that every Christian asks at one point or the other. And if you don't ask it out loud, you ask it in your heart, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Was it the right choice? Am I losing out on more than I'm gaining with Jesus? And, you know, maybe others in the crowd, I guess, are maybe asking a similar kind of question. Apart from they're kind of just slightly looking in from the outside. And, and, and they might be looking in and weighing up. Is it worth joining with these disciples and following Jesus? And they're saying, is it worth it? Is Jesus the real deal? Is, is, is the Christian life really got anything to offer? I'm sure some of us are asking these questions this morning, whether we're looking in from the outside or whether from within the experience of the Christian life, we're, we're looking at Jesus or, or we're grappling with life following him and it's not what we expected or what we hoped. And listen, these, these blessings and these woes, they map out for us two ways of, of living life. And we need to realise that even as followers of Jesus, we can be in both camps and doing a bit of both at the same time. Jesus wants to comfort us. There's great blessing where life is harder because you're following me. That's a blessed way to live. But he also wants to warn us. He also wants to warn us. Don't go and seek to live life ignoring the God who made us. Don't go and seek to find life in other things and other places. Because in the end, that's futile. 
what might this look like for you if you're following Jesus? Well, some of you could be further ahead in your careers by now if you were a bit more dog-eat-dog in the workplace. If you weren't so principled about what work you took on or, or the people you work with or for, you could have probably been a lot further ahead at this point. Many of us could have much easier relationships with our family if we weren't quite so different to them, if we weren't living for Jesus and seeking to live for him, and they just find us weird, and it just brings tension into the relationship in all kinds of ways. It's really difficult to navigate. You could be wealthier. You could have a lot more resources to fall back on in this financial crisis if you didn't give money to the church, or maybe if you stopped giving money to the church. It would probably look a lot easier for you to get through. You could have a much easier life. You could be much more comfortable if you looked after number one before thinking about the needs of others. Living in these ways will look and feel like losing out in life big time. It will. But Jesus says, in the end, that is winning at life. You are blessed. You know, you might think at first that just sounds a bit weak and limp Jesus, a bit patronizing. You know, Jesus, my family hate me because I'm following you got friends whose family have disowned them because they're following Jesus. They haven't seen them for decades. Jesus, my colleagues don't want to hang out with me because, because of, I'm associated with you. Jesus, I'm facing some real financial struggles because of decisions I've made to honor you and because of what I think you've called me to. Jesus, I'm walking towards people's pain and I could easily avoid it and have an easier life. And you just say, oh, bless you, like I've just sneezed or something. Come on, Jesus. It's already got more than that for me what he does, because this word blessed, to us, it's what you say when someone says, I've had a cold this week, so I've I've been blessed a lot this week by people in the office, but when Jesus uses it, it's much deeper and much richer and more profound than how we use it today. Being blessed means to live in a state of life that's brought about by God and not by our circumstances around us, and it's to be made truly and eternally happy by God. Being blessed is where happiness and contentment runs right through you, deep into your soul. You know, like when you buy a stick of rock and it has the writing that runs right through it. It's like that, just blessed, just kind of runs right through just every part of your life and being. It's it's being caught up in these beautiful realities that, that you live with the eternal favor and the love of God. And so that brings a deep sense of well-being and joy in your life. It brings a peace of soul that passes understanding. And so no person and no circumstance can ultimately steal that away. You're placing your, your happiness and your joy and your life beyond the reach of this world and everything that's, that's in this world and anything that's in it. That's what it means to be blessed. Jesus says you are blessed when you're in my kingdom, when you have that. And it turns the world upside down and inside out because those who have that, those who are blessed, are those who on the surface look like they're having a hard time, looks like it's a bit of a mess, like life's a real struggle. Doesn't look like victory in life so often. Listen, this is to comfort and encourage you when you're counting the cost of following Jesus, whatever it looks like in whatever area. Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Just as there's a way of life that looks like losing in the here and now, but it's ultimately a truly blessed life. So there's a way of life that looks like you're winning in the here and now. But ultimately, is a life of woe. 
And this is Jesus' kind warning for those whose lives are filled with good things. And to be honest, many of us have many good things in our lives. We're filled with many good things. Here's his kind warning to us. It's a life of woe to live for the comfort of riches. It's a life of woe to live filling your life up with good things in the here and now, to seek a carefree life that tries to avoid sadness wherever possible, to live a life that that lives for the respect and the praise of, of people above all else. That is not a good way to live. It's not the way you've been made to live. It's a way of life centered on getting all you can from life in the here and the now, but ignoring God and ignoring his kingdom. We're not going to find on earth what can only be found in God alone. The advertisers don't get that, I don't think. Or maybe they do, I don't know. But we're not going to find it, what God alone can give. I see it in in the lives of, of people around me who I like and who I love, but are looking for fullness in all the wrong places. And so they move from one job to another so, so quickly because they're never satisfied with their work life. They move from one house to another and do up the house and then move again so quickly, moving up the chain, bigger house, nicer neighborhood, but they're never really satisfied with it. They move from one relationship to another so, so quickly because nobody can quite meet what they're looking for. It looks good on the surface. So many good and nice things. Lots of nice stuff to enjoy, but it's hollow. And in the end, it's a life of woe. It's a way of life that in the end is empty and unsatisfying. And here Jesus calls it out. He says, woe to you. And that is what life is all about for you. Because you've already received your comfort. You're full up now, but you'll go hungry when it really matters. Your laughter now will turn to weeping in eternity. This isn't an angry threat. This isn't condemnation. This is a loving warning. It's a chance to hear and learn. It's a call to the better way. There's more to life than what you can fill your stomach with, than the brands you can wear, and the nice things you can enjoy, and everything you can grasp hold of. Now, God's word warns us. It's possible to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul. And Jesus raises his voice to warn the crowds, to warn us, off the broad and the easy path through life that ends in destruction. This is the upside down way of his kingdom. But here's the final thing we see about it. It's a way that brings true life to the full. Jesus wants us to know that life is not found in these things. But for that, we need to turn to him and to his kingdom. That's everything upside down because what matters is not what we can grab here on earth. What matters is what we have in heaven. You see that? You see, the reason that Jesus' disciples are blessed is because yours is the kingdom of God and all that comes with it. Blessed are you for yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you for you will laugh. Blessed are you for great is your reward in heaven. It is the kingdom of God and all of the amazing benefits that come of it, which chiefly belong to these blessed ones, Jesus describes. You have the riches of the kingdom of God. It it will bring great satisfaction to your soul that can never fade away. You know how you feel after you just had a really good meal and just really satisfied, but soon that that, that feeling will never fade away. In eternity, you will laugh with deep belly laughs that bring such great joy. For great is your reward in heaven.
So there's two lenses through which we need to, we need to see and experience this kingdom life. It's the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. And, and both are true. Yes, we have the kingdom right here, right now. And yet the fullness of the kingdom is to come for us when we truly realize what it means to be blessed. And if we really get hold of that, it transforms how we navigate life in the here and now. If you look at verse 23, just snuck away in the middle, it's completely revolutionary. Now, I don't know how you feel on a day when people hate you and exclude you and insult you and reject you because of Jesus. You know, colleagues made some passive-aggressive comment about your faith, or your family has heavily criticised you for your lifestyle, or or you read an article online somewhere ripping into people who believe what you do. When that happens to me, I'm a bit discouraged, I'm a bit gloomy and down and morose and wondering whether Jesus is worth it today. But in his kingdom and with this kingdom mindset, what does he say we can and should do? In that very day, not even just a day to come, but that day, rejoice and leap for joy. Rejoice and leap for joy. You're in good company with others in the kingdom who have been treated like that and who have experienced that. And great is your reward in heaven. That shows that you're part of this kingdom and you're living this kingdom life and there's a kingdom to come and there's a kingdom now, so rejoice and leap for joy. This is the promise of Jesus for you and for me. A life of blessing and a life to the full. Listen, if you have little in the world, but you have Jesus, you're okay. You've got life to the full now and to come. If you have lots in the world and you have Jesus, you're okay. Because you will know that he's worth more than anything else. And you'll live like all that you have won't deliver life to the full. So you hold it lightly or use it wisely. You'll be okay. Whatever your situation, whether you have little or you have a lot, throw your lot in with Jesus, knowing the blessing of life to the full with him. Here's where we need to, to finish to say uh, t- today. It's seeing that Jesus is and he lives what he offers to us. He's not some advertising executive who's selling us a product or a lifestyle that he won't try or, or, or doesn't want. He's not asking us to live a way that he's not willing or able to. He's not asking us to do anything that he himself doesn't do perfectly. Jesus offers us life to fall in the real world because he has lived it, because he didn't stay far off from us in heaven. He didn't stay far off from our experience of life, but he came from heaven to earth as God to bring blessing and fullness of his kingdom to us. You see, Jesus is the ultimate, truly blessed one. He is the the, the person who has life to the full. And so in these blessings here, we get a taste of his character and his life and his approach to life. The one who took on a life of poverty, the one who experienced hunger and tears, the one who was hated and excluded and insulted and rejected. The one who eventually went experienced all of that to the point of being hung up on a Roman cross to die as an act of public execution alongside two criminals. Jesus has lived that life that on the surface doesn't look great, it doesn't feel great, it isn't easy, it wouldn't seem to us to be blessed or prosperous or successful, but in the end it is greatly blessed. In the end it is greatly prosperous and successful because he rose from the dead and he lives forevermore and this is the one who speaks to us today and offers us the blessing of his life that he shares with us. And he holds it out to you. This is life in my kingdom. 
This is what I offer you. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's inviting us into. He knows what he's warning us of. And he calls us to live this life of blessing in his kingdom. He comforts us. It will be worth it in the end. He warns us not to be seduced by these other ways of life offered by the world around us. The question is, what will you do with that? What will you do in response? Let me pray as you consider that. Jesus, you, uh, you have lived life like us, and so you know. You know what each of us experiences and faces. Because you've both lived life on this earth, and now you're risen and reigning, and by your spirit you see into our, into our hearts and into our lives. You know what we need. You know what we're drawn to, what we're tempted by. You know where these things lead us. Jesus, thank you for your loving warning and your compelling invitation to the life of your kingdom. Jesus, it's so unnatural to us. So help us by your spirit to take you on your word, to believe you, to follow you, and to live the life of blessing, to live the life of fullness, both now and also to enjoy it forevermore in the life to come. We pray it for your glory, but we also pray it for our good and our pleasure and our life and our joy. Amen.